we work tirelessly because we understand the value of an education. And so we know that's one solid way to disrupt the generational poverty. But it's hard to engage in an education if you're not stable, if they're traumatized, if you're living in your car, you're sleeping from couch to couch. And so we recognize by addressing the trauma, we can engage them academically and see the success that comes through. Hi, I'm Jeff Holden, principal and founder of Multipoint Content Strategies and Hear Me Now Studio for podcast production. Many of our local nonprofit agencies have made our community better with their outlook of hope for those they serve. With economic headwinds facing most, if not all, I've offered our studio to produce a podcast for them to help tell their stories in their words to provide another opportunity to reach out for support at a time when so many of their fundraising efforts have become challenging. Our purpose in doing so is to inform and direct interested donors or volunteers to those organizations that do so much for us and keep that candle of hope burning brightly for all. I'm talking today with Dr. Gina Warren. Dr. Warren's work to improve health and wellness has spanned from corporate pharmacy benefits management to medical group program management and development and direct patient care through Sacramento County's pharmacy and clinic. It was in 2011 that she and her family moved back to Del Paso Heights to help address the social determinants that were impacting their childhood community. In 2015, she co-founded Neighborhood Wellness Foundation, a nonprofit community-based organization with a mission to disrupt intergenerational trauma and poverty in Del Paso Heights. Gina is also a second-degree black belt in Taekwondo, loves music, baking, and traveling with her husband and three children. Gina, tell me a little bit about Neighborhood Wellness, its mission, service area, overall objectives of the organization. What is it you're doing? Neighborhood Wellness Foundation was founded in 2015, co-founded with myself and my business partner, my friend Marilyn Woods. The mission is to disrupt intergenerational trauma and poverty, but that wasn't the initial mission. The initial mission was to improve health and wellness. And as we continue to dig deeper in the work that we are doing, we recognize that at the root cause of the challenges and the disparities that we're seeing in Del Paso Heights and parts of North Sacramento were all related to trauma or intergenerational trauma and poverty. By health and wellness, do you mean mental health and wellness? Both. Both, Both mental and physical health. Absolutely. And so what we recognize is that by addressing intergenerational trauma and poverty, that will improve overall mental and physical health. There's a direct correlation between poor health outcomes and poverty and, also, and, and definitely with trauma. And by intergenerational, meaning deep into the families, not just absolutely children absolutely. And, and parents, but grandparents. Absolutely. Correct. What exactly is that saying, and how are you going about making that happen? So what we did is we created four programs And it's to address the trauma. And we started off with what we call a sister-to-sister healing circle. That's our first signature program. Mm -hmm. And and what we do is we have evidence-based information that we utilize combined with neighborhood, what we call neighborhood navigators. It's a grassroots approach. So everybody on our staff are mostly all from Del Paso Heights or directly connected to Del Paso Heights in some way. And when we say evidence-based information, we utilize that of the landmark study, which understands trauma, as well as Dr. Vanderkolk's book called 
my body keeps a score. And what he suggests is that by reconnecting and by talking through trauma, it is the first step in the healing process. And so by dealing with your trauma, it begins to lower that barrier of, of adversity that undermines learning. And so by addressing the trauma, it actually allows that brain, the cognitive executive function to start really focusing in and beginning to improve the learning process. And so we wanted to address, and not just that, the, the neuroscience part of it, but also just living in poverty, living in trauma every day, it's very difficult to focus in and to learn and to thrive. And so we want to begin to get to the root cause of why people are living the way they are. And, and by addressing the trauma and the poverty, we can engage them in the educational processes. And so with Sister to Sister, we sit once weekly. We did that with the youth and we did that with the women. And we begin to connect. We begin to listen and to understand the impact of repressed pain and anger, suicidal, violent thoughts, feelings of worthlessness and nobodiness, if mm -hmm. that's a term that you understand. And when we begin to connect and listen to each other, we uh, also have a licensed therapist and we begin to direct them to tools that they can utilize to lower those barriers, those mental barriers, and begin to engage in more empowerment sessions that we also offer with our sister to sister circle. And so then the second part of what we do is we engage our adults in educational attainment. So those who don't have a high school diploma, you don't have a high school diploma, you don't have a skill, you don't have a skill, it's hard to find a job. And so we are reconnecting those who weren't able to finish high school. And so through our adult, well, our, it's a program called Reaching Higher Heights. Okay. And we have, we work with adults 22 and over who are interested uh, and need to return to high school to get their high school diploma. Because what we also do is connect them to a livable wage job through a vocational training program that's part of the Highland Charter School Adult Program. And it's just been fantastic because without a high school diploma, you don't have a skill that's, you know, it's difficult to have a skill set that you can use to have a livable wage job. And so by reconnecting them to high school, they can realize actually skills that they may already have, and now we can connect them to a job. You had mentioned your neighborhood cohorts. Everybody's from the neighborhood, and are they all volunteers? So we started off with almost all volunteers. Wow. So our business partner um, has a strong background in finance. We have a board member who also works on our staff, volunteering is a retired OBGYN, that's Dr. Beth McClure. And then myself, I have a doctorate degree and I volunteer as well. So the past five years since we've been in business, Marilyn and I, the co-founder, have never taken a salary. But what we were able to do over the course of time with the work that we've done and with the impact that we've made, we've been able to get funding through private funding, as well as uh, submitting proposals and getting awarded the grant funds. And we're able to pay our neighborhood navigators is what we call them. They're neighborhood navigators that are directly tied to the community. 40 years. Some of them have been in this neighborhood for 40 years. And they can navigate through this community better than anyone. Folks who are closest to the problem are closest to the solution. And an authenticity that's unmatched. And so when we combine evidence-based information with the knowledge of neighborhood navigators, we've been able to make a significant impact. I've been in Del Paso Heights since I was there, uh, in junior high school. 
Wow. Uh, my husband as well. Marilyn, my co-founder, her mother taught elementary school in Del Paso Heights. And Beth McClure's uncle graduated from Grand High School. So we all have this connection. Mm -hmm. And there's a deep love and passion for this community. And so we work tirelessly because we understand the value of an education. We know that's one solid way to disrupt the generational poverty. But it's hard to engage in an education if you're not stable, if they're traumatized, if you're living in your car, you're sleeping from couch to couch. And so we recognize by addressing the trauma, we can engage them academically and see the success that comes through. It's amazing to know that that many people have grown up and returned and are committed to the community. And I would imagine for the constituents you serve, it lends a sense of credibility because they have a relationship with the community that they can share Absolutely. and understand. Absolutely. You had mentioned- They share life experiences. Uh, yes, you had mentioned empowerment. What are some of the empowerment opportunities that have been presented through the organization? Well, one of the first ones is interesting is teaching them that there's nothing wrong with them, but much has happened to them. And that is understanding the neuroscience and neurological impact of childhood trauma or a chronic adult adversity and living in a neighborhood of toxicity. When you begin to understand that, it's so powerful and it's so empowering because it gives them hope that there's nothing wrong with them. And so it allows them to engage in empowerment sessions. We've had Beth McClure has actually given session on women's health. Marilyn has done a financial literacy presentation. A friend of ours who's provided some dental knowledge, so some information regarding dental care. We have people coming in. We've got another licensed therapist who came in and did some sessions on mental wellness and anger management. Wow, there's... A lot of different things that we are doing. I, I've been on schedule to talk about medications. It's, it's mostly what we're trying to do is address the disparities that are impacting our neighborhood. And so we're looking at mental health. We're looking at physical health. We're looking at financial literacy challenges. And that's budgeting to opening a, a bank account versus um, going to the check cashing corner, understanding how to shop and, and navigate through the grocery store, how to navigate through the housing system building that self-efficacy so when they do have challenges in the rental place that they're not afraid to ask for help and then end up living in substandard care, substandard housing, which is what happens a lot, afraid mm -hmm. of being evicted so they don't complain that there's mold or that there's cockroaches or that it's infested with rodents. A lot of them don't know how to navigate through that process. And so we're teaching them. The virus has hit the state hard and our communities of color seem to be even more affected. If it's not from the virus itself, then it's economic challenges that the virus has presented in those communities, which Del Paso Heights is, is no exception. So often we're hearing of businesses pivoting to accommodate a shift. When we spoke earlier, you said something very, very different that I thought was very poignant. Can you share that with us? We don't pivot, and I think it's critical that we don't. We stay directly committed to the mission of disrupting intergenerational trauma and poverty. Whenever we, there's funding that comes through, we want to make sure that it matches our mission. Not all funding is funding that actually works well with our organization. And so if we lose sight of our mission, then we don't accomplish our goals and we don't ever want to lose sight of that. So when we do get awarded a grant and when we go after those proposals, it's something that we know would enhance the work that we're already doing, but that it doesn't allow us to pivot far away from what we're trying to get accomplished. For example, uh, we were just awarded the mental health grant through the county. And so the, the process in which we are going to 
really address our, our trauma through our Sister to Sister Healing Circles, we're able to expand that out and create an end product of a quilt. And so we partnered with Shona McDaniels from the Sojourner Truth Museum and, and some other great partners. And we expanded our outreach with GLOW, with Healing Fi Foundation. So it allows us to further our collaboration, to reach more people, to impact further the work that we're trying to do. So expanding the number of people we actually can reach. And so we don't pivot because we don't find it necessary to do that and still get the work that we need to get done. For example, with COVID, COVID's impacted our, our community significantly. Uh, the, the paper that Harvard put out is, is consistent with what we've always believed, and that is that there's a direct correlation between structuralized racism and trauma and then the inability to or the challenge to fight another crisis. And so when they're looking at COVID and seeing the increased morbidity mortality, they're questioning, is this related to generational trauma? And it's like with a lot of viruses, it's like it's, you, you start to look at the host, you start to look at the person that's infected and how strong are they able to fight another crisis? When you're living in poverty and you're, and you're dealing with the intangible complexities of poverty, and that's what I want people to understand. Living in poverty isn't just like, oh, you don't have enough food to eat, you're not, you know, nice clothes, or, you know, your, your house is small, or there is, there is countless intangibles complexities of trauma that people do not understand. There's layers and layers and layers of trauma and, and there's no way out. And so you now going to fight another crisis. Mm -hmm. And, and so how do you fight that? How do you fight through that? And not just that you don't have, you don't trust the system. And so you wait until the last minute to get help, but there's, there's, there's transportation issues. There's, there's all these, these issues. There's, there's multiple comorbidities that people may have from the diabetes to obesity to high blood pressure. And a lot of those are still directly correlated to trauma. And so that is what people, I want people to understand is that in 1998, there was a, a study that came out by Dr. Onda and Dr. Felitti, and they talked about the direct correlation between the number of adverse childhood experiences you have and poor health outcomes. And the more trauma you had, the, the poorer your health outcomes are. And that's not a surprise. But when you see that there is a study out and they've tested 17,000 people, you're saying, okay, there is something to this. But why haven't we talked about it any further? That was 1998. We're in 2020. And why aren't we talking about the direct correlation of trauma and health outcomes? And as because we continue to want to believe that it has to just do with poor behavior and you're not eating well, you're not exercising, and it's not that. Dealing with that trauma, what is the most significant part of neighborhood wellness that you would you say is integrating into the household and the family to address that specific issue? So I can give you an example. We have several families that we're working with. And when you've got generational trauma, and let me, let me give an example, and the trauma associated with legacy of incarceration and everybody in your home had been incarcerated and dropped out of high school you start to imagine what that was like for those children right so you've got grandma and grandpa um both high school dropouts both been in prison and then your parents both high school dropouts both been in prison and then your aunts your uncles your cousins your siblings and i'm not exaggerating and then they wonder why okay this child keeps getting in trouble and then ends up incarcerated and now is out and 
you finally get on a different pathway and she ends up at sister to sister and we're engaging in dialogue and talking about all these challenges she has and and then one day asked her to write it down tell me about your history your family history of incarceration your family history of education it's like you have asked family history when you go into the doctor's office right you want to know who had high blood pressure mm-hmm. who had diabetes who had heart disease well nobody ever asked that for children who continue to get in trouble who continue to who, who drop out of school who can't get engaged academically they never asked that and they need to ask that they need to ask what is your family history because you can now begin to see through a different lens and say okay We've got something that we can be more strategic in our approach to deal with this particular person. What we are doing now is is working with the mom. We're working with the the daughter. We're working with the granddaughter of the, of the you know the mom. Mm-hmm. You've got the the little child, the mom, and the grandmother. And now you're integrating different tools to. But most importantly, you begin the conversation about you know what happened. You know, what's, what's the relationship here? What is going on in your household? And then the anger comes out, the frustration of you failed me as a mother, you know, this and that. And then she tells her story. Well, my mother failed me and mm-hmm. my mother left me. And, 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 and so you hear this story and you're thinking, wait a minute, we've got to find a way to disrupt this. Where does it stop? And so we've got these two little girls who are so engaging, excited about going to school and learning because now they're seeing their mom re-engaging in academics. It's like you, there's, it's not rocket science. It's like you, you pull down that barrier and you allow them to see through a different lens and to say that this is possible. So you encourage, you uplift, you, you take away easy barriers that is getting in the way of them succeeding and you start to see them thrive. And that motivates them and then they start to build self-efficacy and then it starts to have this trickle effect. And that's why I said, if you look into this neighborhood, it's not we're underprivileged or we're high risk. Or we are under-resourced, living in generational poverty. And, and we can go through it from the whole redlining situation of the inability to build wealth and, and then the poor educational system because you don't have property taxes to fund the schools. And it's just this trickle-down effect, this generational impact that mm-hmm. it has. And, and so when we start to see that we can make an impact, and we started working with the girls in 2017 at Grand High School with our youth sister-to-sister, many of them had a 1.0 and below. Some of them had a 0.0 at risk of going to continuation school. And we began to just engage them in conversation about the challenges that they were dealing with because you have now neighborhood navigators who have shared lived experiences. My mom was on drugs. My mom was on drugs. I got taken out of my mom's home. I got taken out of my mom's home. And you begin to engage in this conversation, and they begin to realize that there's other factors, that there's nothing wrong with them. They had a lot happen to them. A lot happened to their mother, and a lot happened to their mother's mother. So they begin to understand this generational impact and poverty and all the challenges, and that they know they begin to learn that, wow, I can actually disrupt this, this process by engaging academically engaging and getting an education but they can't do it by themselves they don't have the guidance and the baseline to say okay the next step is is to fill out this FAFSA form if you want to go to college it's to get this extracurricular activity they're trying to survive they're trying to eat they're trying to survive they weren't asking for any of this they were born into poverty as was their mother as was their grandmother and so they have no idea the process to climb the ladder to get into college. They don't understand the, the process. And so we have to engage them and teach them this process. 
and help them through this journey. I mean, my kids, both of us are college graduates, my husband and I, and it's a complicated process to apply to college. It's a complicated process to understand how corporate America works, how the business world works, mm-hmm. how to build a resume, how to improve your, your skill set so you look better on a resume, so how to engage and volunteer to do a volunteer extracurricular work, to find jobs that are they're going to be relevant to make your resume or your college application look better. They have no idea what that looks like. They're not exposed to that. They don't have the background. They don't have the family support because their family is not finished high school. So they're first generation, and we recognize that. And so we literally create a pathway. And so what we're trying to do right now is work on a matriculation program so whether they're going to matriculate to vocational school, to college, to a livable wage job, we still want to help them through that process because all of our clients are at different stages, and we have some that are definitely prepared to go to college if they have the funding and the guidance and the support system, and there's some that are definitely not ready, but they could go to a JC, mm-hmm. um, but they still need help with that process. And then there's some who, who are struggling, went through IEP, so they've got some challenges, academic and learning challenges. And so we want to start them off at possibly do the job core or get them engaged in some workforce readiness. And workforce readiness coming out of our neighborhood is not going to look like somewhere else. Uh, we have to go through basic, basic competency development. And that means that, you know, when you're stressed out and you're, you're anxious about a job, they don't have Valium and, and Xanax and things that will calm them down. So some of them have actually gone out and smoke marijuana to calm down mm-hmm. because they wanted the job so badly and not recognizing that now the potential employer can smell your clothes and you smell like marijuana. And so it's like basic things like they, they don't know because they've never had a job before, but so excited and so determined to become better. But we realize that they don't have basic competency skills. They don't know how to go online to register or apply for an application. So we teach them. We teach them literacy skills, digital literacy, improving their reading skills, their reading level, signing them back up to go to high school. And if they already have a high school diploma, we have some who are still illiterate, cannot read with a high school diploma. And, and that's another, that's a whole other conversation. But what we do is we don't criticize. We start to say, wow, okay, if I'm serving you, and I'm to provide a service to you that if it's not working, then I have to readjust my approach to serving you. And that means if, if you're not doing well on the job, then what do I need to help you to be supportive so you understand what it is to have workforce readiness and to show up on time, to dress appropriately, to, to make sure you're not extending your break hour, your time on your break, and that you're returning back from lunch on time. How do I support that if you've never been exposed to that and you've never been taught that? And so we go back to basic competency skills. And it's just been fantastic because they're responding. They're so excited to learn because they've never learned these things. But we think we learn in kindergarten. Some people have never learned it. And and we recognize that. And and from from creating pictures and a reference guide to say, okay, I need you to dress like you're going to church. Well, that's different nowadays. Mm -hmm. People wear jeans and a T-shirt to church. And so you have to be very clear with a clear understanding to make sure that they know exactly what we're asking. And we got them through the process. But in that process, there's a reciprocated exchange of knowledge. I've learned more in this five years than, than I ever have in terms of what is in book knowledge versus what is real life. It's a real life knowledge is, is when we're going to 
become more strategic in our approach to change, to move the needle of poverty, to move the needle of trauma. You can't do it through the book knowledge. You have to listen to the people who are living this. And something you said earlier on, the significance of just worrying about a meal on the table or a roof over your head versus sleeping in the car is so significant. Where are you going to find the, the bandwidth to even think about the next steps of getting a job or getting an education. Absolutely. And, and you know, even just some people ever even removed from that. And so I say this, I said, you know, say, for example, your, your child comes home from school and I had somebody say, well, distant learning is difficult for everyone. And I said, okay, well, mom's at work. Dad is gone. Mm -hmm. There's mold all over the walls because there was a leak in the roof and she's making enough money to make ends meet to pay that mortgage because her dad left her the home, but she's not able to repair that hole in the roof. So she did a little makeshift repair. So little by little, there's condensation, there's moisture, and the mold begins to... So now this is an unhealthy environment. But also, you're embarrassed because you don't want to have friends over. So you really, it's not a place for you to study or... or You've got a ton of younger siblings, and mom is at work, and dad's not there, and you have to cook for them. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're you're 14. You got to cook for them. You got to make sure that they have whatever they need. You're not going to sit down and focus. And you've got a history exam tomorrow. When are you going to be able to do that? Can you do that when there's screaming and yelling, or there's just so much anger inside that house because you you can't figure out where the next meal is coming, so you can't focus. And so you just get out and you leave. And then you right. leave and then you're walking through a, a, a neighborhood with illegal dumping because there's a lot of dumping that comes from other people that come into our neighborhood. And, and so there's no place that's not toxic. And mm -hmm. so you want to be able to come down. You want to be able to decompress. And that's just so difficult to do because the physical landscape doesn't allow that. And the physical landscape impacts your, your mental sky. And you, then you begin to believe that this is all I deserve and that inferiority complex begins to just, just hit hard and you're already struggling with adolescence. And so now you're dealing with all these other challenges and it's what I want people to understand. It's, it's the intangibles that you don't see mm -hmm. um, and that you'll never understand unless you've actually lived in this situation where you don't know where your next meal is coming from and you want to know why dad left and you want to know why you're always struggling and your feet are coming out of your shoes and why people are walking around carrying guns and, and you're not eating and, and there's just toxicity and you're still 10 years old or you're 14 and you're 16. Why am I living like this? What did I do wrong? And there's nothing you did wrong. You happen to be born into poverty. Mm -hmm. And so um, we are, are trying to, to redirect as best we can, one neighbor at a time, one student at a time, one mother at a time, re-engage them pull down that barrier of adversity and help them engage academically or, or educational opportunities so they can improve their life. How's the relationship with Grant High School? Great. We had a contract with Twin Rivers, but now we've got social distancing. Well, we implemented a, what we first did is a, our sister-to-sister program with our, our young ladies. Mm -hmm. And we did a lunchtime class, and that was at 2017. And then last year, we started the Innovators Academy program where we were working with our most challenged, academically challenged, most withdrawn, most disruptive kids. And, man, it was the most incredible experience because we partnered with 9168, with the Arata Brothers, with Square Root Academy. 
and we in, in in our neighborhood mentors all came together to serve about 30 to 40 students we were there monday through friday we fed them every day and i mean hot meals so i had a my my pancake skillet that we sometimes make grilled cheeses on or pancakes mm-hmm. on a minimum day and we fed them and we know a lot of times that was the biggest meal they'd ever gotten and probably the last big meal they would get and the food that's served i'm sorry at the school is not i mean it's not something you would want to you look forward to eating they the administration was administrative people there people i know we all went to grant high school they were phenomenal supporting us and allowing us to be innovative and engaging the students that they know are struggling to be engaged and we don't look at them as bad kids or those kids they were kids that needed a different approach that needed a different pathway that we knew a lot of their stories and that they were struggling in a lot of different ways, socially, emotionally. It had a lot of them experienced significant trauma, unimaginable trauma. And we were just helping to lower that barrier, letting them know that we were there to support them. So they did a lot of writing, do creative writing with 916 Inc. and releasing a lot of that pent up stress and, and frustration and anger. And then Square Root Academy engaged them to some science, you know, science experiments and a lot of, it was, STEM. They Mm -hmm. did a lot of STEM work and it was just fantastic. It was just so great. And then we still over COVID and shutting down our mentors that stay connected to so many of our students, bringing essentials, um, hair products, food, feminine products for the young girls, you know, communicating with mom and then connecting with some of the, the boys and the girls and taking them on, taking them horseback riding and just taking them, sitting down, having lunch with them and just really engaging them. And because this is a tough time. This is a very, very difficult time. We had two virtual graduations with two of our students, and we were able to give them gifts and and honor them and and congratulate them from graduating and then staying connected to them and making sure that there's a next step. And one of them is going to join the AmeriCorps and work with Neighborhood Wellness to the AmeriCorps and get her her the skills that she needs so when she's prepared to go to college and then getting an educational allowance to AmeriCorps. So we've got great partners who understand our mission, who share our mission, and we're able to, to see the impact. And it's, we have success stories. We just want so many more. We want to scale this to where we have countless stories to share. Well, not to mention to break that cycle requires enough success for people to recognize it and we know success Absolutely. breeds success. Once they see it, it's Absolutely. like, oh, let's go fuel that because we want to be a part of it. That's exactly right. You know, you touched That's earlier exactly on right. a bit on your funding. Let's talk just a little bit about that so people understand how the organization gets its its money to do what it does. Well, you know, with all nonprofits, it's really a grind. You have mm-hmm. to, you have, first of all, you have to know that there is a grant that's out, there's an RFP out. Does it match the work that you're doing? And do you have the capacity to, to do the work that, that they're asking and do the data collection? So you collect the metrics, do the data collection, do the analysis to roll out the program and making sure you have the staff that, that can do that. Mm-hmm. And we have added you know staff members little at a time as we've gotten little funding here and there. And then some people we've gotten through USF. So we've got the University of San Francisco has a graduate program, their, their Masters of Public Health. So we've had two of their interns come uh, through our program. with the vo- So they were able to do volunteer work. So we were able to get data analysis reports from them. And one of them has stayed with us 
it's just fantastic because they love the work that we're doing. They believe in the work that we're doing. So we've been able to grow our staff. And so now as we continue to to write proposals, so my co-founder and I and and one of our board members, Dr. McClure, we write, we write all of our grants. So we're also boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. We do the budget analysis. And it, so we're, we're pretty much doing all of those things. All hands-on, for sure. Um, we're, we're all hands-on. But what we've done is that we are now showing impact. And by showing impact, we're, we've been awarded a few more proposals, uh, more uh, grants. And we're now being able to expand our work. And as we continue to expand our work and, and increase our collaboration and partners, it gives us more credibility. And so when we apply for more grants, it allows us to scale. And, and our goal is really to scale and to build self-efficacy. So a lot of our neighborhood navigators, we've got two of them are doing program management. It's just fantastic. We just need more, uh, some more people, some more support so we can continue to do professional development and, and do more outreach and have the capacity to scale this program. What is your biggest need right now? If, if there's a most significant, what would it be? In terms of funding or... Money, volunteers, funding? Oh, we definitely need funding. If we were able to get funding to create, for example, our matriculation program, if we had uh, staff to come in to help us organize and do some professional development even for our current staff to help us produce some infrastructure for a couple of other things that we would like to do. That's always helpful to be help us with some grant writing. Let's see. I mean, we've had homemade and people have come up and helped us do some, you know, facelifting on our, our building site. We just need things like that. Like today, we just got a, an estimate on a $5,000 bill to help with our plumbing because they saw some debris way deep down and they have to pull our whole vanity out of the bathroom. Well, mm. that's not something that's on our budget, but we need it because we are a community hub and people use our restrooms and we want to be able to do that. So that, you know, so we, we get hit with things here and there. Mm-hmm. Honestly, funding to scale our educational programs and funding to continue to support our licensed therapists so we can continue to do counseling with our families we don't do bad pack drives and things like that but we always like to help to provide those things Mm -hmm. but that's not the essence of our work is really program development so we can transform lives and that is by really working with them being able to pay our mentors who are boots on the ground who are working with these with our mothers and our kids it's really like 24 7 Their, their phones ring off the hook they want to be there for these teenagers. A lot of times when they call, that that's, it's a crisis, and you're not being available makes it very difficult. So a lot of them work from a voluntary standpoint because they get paid from, from neighborhood wellness, but we still wish we could pay them more than what they're being paid. Mm-hmm. But we don't have the funding to do that, but they believe in the work that we're doing, and they see the impact, and they're so committed to the community because they're tied to the community, generationally tied to the community. They understand the stories. They understand the impact of the crack epidemic. They understand poverty. They lived it. They tasted it. They feel it. All of us are so deeply connected. And we understand how much work it's going to take to get this done, but we're committed to do it. That's part of what this podcast is about, is the opportunity to to tell people, hey, here's what we need to change our community. 
here's what we're mm-hmm. looking for, here's what we would like you to help with. And if somebody is interested in participating in the organization, where would you send them? Where do you send them? In, in other words, just give us the website and if there's a number or a way to reach okay. whomever. Sure. It's, sure. it's uh, neighborhoodwellness.org. That is our website. So there's a donate button if you're interested in donating, but I think it's important if you do go on the site. You know, I have so many people asking me, how can I help? And I always ask them, I, please, I invite you to visit our site so you can actually see the work that we're doing and then you can say, okay, I'd like to help with this. I mean, we need help with adult literacy to come and help uh, some of our adults learn how to read because most of the literacy programs are for children to donate some adult literacy books for those who are reading at their first, second, third grade level to provide some professional development skills to come in and teach organizational skills. We have also an alternative sentencing program for those who have been generationally incarcerated. And so we uh, recognize that there is a direct correlation between low educational attainment and incarceration. And so we've got them signed up for our high school diploma program. It's challenging every day that you go back in the environment that you're in. There needs to be a support system, some kind of way to decompress. And so we offer some therapy, but we would like to take them on on educational, outdoor educational excursions, Mm -hmm. uh, to take them to the Crocker Art Museum, to drive them to San Francisco, to take some of the kids on college tours would be fantastic because those positive experiences now are in their mind to say, wow, this is a place I can go. This is this is something that I can achieve, but it's difficult to dream that if you don't see it, if it's not tangible to you. So educational trips for both our adults and for our youth, especially, we would love to be able to fund those. And then, of course, our matriculation program and that to be able to pay our staff to do that, to focus in on how to guide each one of our graduates to the next step. Because graduating from high school is one thing. Knowing what to do is the next thing. It's like they got to either be employed, go to college, go to a four-year, two-year, or be involved in some vocational training. Mm-hmm. But we want to make sure they are connected to the next step that will allow them to be self-sufficient. That's what our goal is, is self-efficacy, self-sufficiency, feeling free because they are earning their own income to give them some freedom, some options, and allow them to see that dream manifested. We have people deaf that never never left El Paso Heights. I have some people who have never been to San Francisco, ever. Never been to Oakland, never been to the Bay Area. They've not left El Paso Heights. Mm -hmm. They've never been to the Crocker. They've never been to the American River. It's an atrocity. As you mentioned, it's intergenerational. There's never been anything to expose them further than... no. A 10 block radius. That's right. That's exactly right. Gina, I think what you're doing is nothing short of miraculous, and the success of the program is significant, even though it's small at this point, in its ability to not only change and break that cycle and change the intergenerational behavior, but it's also giving everybody else an opportunity now to see that there's a program that's different than all the others that actually works in its own environment. And yes, and that is just, please, I want to just um, thank you for saying that. But it, we are building from the inside out and the bottom up. We are working with the most difficult to reach, the most wounded, as I define them as. And we are, we recognize that that is how we change the culture in this neighborhood. It's not the ones who, the, what we people define as the low hanging fruit. 
they will always get help from someone. We want the ones who are struggling the most because people have forgotten them, written them off as not worthy, and we know better. And so I have to say, it is not me. It is Neighborhood Wellness, and Neighborhood Wellness is comprised of this phenomenal group of women and a few men, and we are, are changing lives. And that is what this is about, is us coming together as a team and, and working with phenomenal collaborators and partners and changing lives. And that is what our ultimate goal is. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. Beth. If what you heard today moved you, please reach out to that organization and find a way you can support their cause. Thank you for listening. Thank you for any support you can give. This production was made possible by Multipoint Content Strategies and Hear Me Now Studio.